I've actually started to drink. This this is so sad. Caffeine free Coke Zero. Oh, it really is just brown water. Well, I'm sure. yeah. What's what's the, what's the point of that? There really isn't an awful lot of point. I think it's just because I like something fizzy. <laughs> I see. Okay, but you don't want the caffeine. But I can't have the caffeine. Uh, you can't have the caffeine. Is that medically? No, or? Ca- caffeine freaks me out. It makes me. It turns me into a head case. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'd, I'd hate to see what the caffeinated Andy Clark's like. Oh, goodness me. No, no, it just, it just... I get this weird sensation between my ears. It's like right in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> when thoughts happen. When thoughts, that's what happens. So, yes, no, I can't do caffeine, which is the same. Anyway, how are your legs, Mr. Hicks? They're a little bit broken this morning, <laughs> mainly because, well, you, you're going to allude to the fact that I did this 80-mile ride yesterday. You went for a short bicycle ride yesterday, didn't you? Yeah. 80 miles isn't the longest I've done, uh, and it wasn't the most amount of climbing I've done either, because that's the thing that really hurts. You know, you can basically, if it's flat, you can go for miles and miles. It doesn't matter. But if you do hills... Um, especially in, in the Cotswolds. Okay. It's not as bad as say Derbyshire or something like that. You know, we've got big, big ones, but we've got some gradients that are about 20, 25%. So they're a bit of a struggle. And also I forgot the, the one bit of kit that I left at home was my water bottle with, uh, you have this sort of electrolyte stuff in it. Right. So basically you stop cramp. So, uh, I was, I managed to borrow a basic water bottle, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't get any electrolytes. I was trying to get salt from anything I could, but, um, uh, yeah, I got bad cramp and I had to, I, I struggled up the hills a bit. I was a bit, a bit slow, but I managed to keep going. I thought cycling was just sitting down. Obviously there's a lot more to it than that. Well, yeah. I mean, what I mean is that on a hill, what you sometimes do, if you, you know, just to, to vary it a bit and to get a bit more power, a bit more push, is that you'll stand up on the pedals, you know, yeah. get out of the seat and, and you grind it a bit. Especially if it's a short, steep one, you'll tend to do that just to get it over with quickly. But it, it uses more energy. And if you have got a cramp in your legs, it really hurts. You can feel the muscles pop. So, yeah, um, I had to sort of stay seated, take it really slowly. Uh, but I didn't walk, so that was good. 80 miles, that's a... Was it a round trip, or do you have to get a lift back? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the SA to, to loop. So, you know, it was. It started in Oxford, which was lovely, because he just started around all the old colleges and things. Did a bit of a cobbled street bit, and then you go out into the countryside and into the Cotswold, into Hook Norton, which you might know from the beer. Yes. Um, in fact, they gave us a, a, a free uh, bottle of Hook Norton at the end, which is very nice. Now... I admire it greatly, your commitment to, uh, to to your cycling. Well, you've been breaking your body a bit recently, haven't you? You've been doing your personal training. I've been to the gym this morning, as it happens. So I've completely got no energy. If we manage to last an hour, it'll be a miracle. Because <laughs> right. we ended up on doing sprints on the rowing machine after doing basically bench presses and other things today. But yes, I've been doing that. I don't want to bore people with my exercise routine. Bench presses? Did that where you just put your hand on a bench and you just sort of push down a little bit? Yeah, yeah, with your sandwiches. That's what you do. Oh, with sandwiches. All right, excellent. (laughs) No, it's the one where you lay back 
Which I like the laying down part. You lay I'm back, sure you do. and then you lift up the the bar with your chest, and oh. well, not with your, with your chest, above your chest with your arms, mm. and then basically lift it up and down. Which sounds all very simple. And I could do. I think it was about thirty five kilos I was lifting today, Blimey. which is perfect. That's a lot. It's pathetic. There are people that go to this gym that can do like two hundred kilos. Which is 31 stone. I mean, I don't know whether they can do it all day, but I couldn't. Ah, oh, I'm such a Wendy. <laughs> right. No, I, th- I th- I'm very impressed by 35 kilos. I mean, I've got my, um, the bike I used to come into work today is my old 1930 style bike, Pashley Governor. And that weighs 14 kilos. And I have to carry that upstairs in the office. And that's, that's heavy. Yeah. But so 35 pressing against me, I can't imagine what that's like. Well. I'm determined. I mean, I'm not giving up. Yeah, he keeps he keeps saying today's going to hurt, and it always does. But then I keep going back. So, (laughs) such a yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it's Monday. We should tell people it's Monday today as we record this. We normally record on a Friday, but 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 I went all the way down to deconstruct in Brighton Mm. on Friday. You went to the centre of the universe. I had some frothy coffee. (laughs) <laughs> a cappuccino. I did. And, uh... <laughs> I had a burger in what they call a brioche bun. <laughs> oh, Andy, you're so you're so parochial. <laughs> For the first time. You never had that before? No, never. Uh, no, yeah. no. We went at lunchtime. Everybody trolled over to what's called Troll's Kitchen, which is a, uh, every Friday they street food vendors take over this particular park in Brighton. I forget what it's called, but oh, nice. everybody went there. And uh, yes, so Troll's Kitchen apparently is the place where you have the best burger in a brioche bun. There's no choice. You know, you, you, there isn't, yeah. you can't have a sesame seed. No. Or no. a poppy seed. It, it, it is, it being Brighton, it has to come in brioche. Gosh. Um, so I had one of those. And I, you know, it tasted all right, but I'm not convinced about brioche over, say, sesame seed? It adds an extra layer of kind of slipperiness to the outside, you know, when it's already quite slippery. I'm not sure whether it added it. I mean, it made it quite moist, the burger, and mm. it was already quite quite rare, which was quite nice. Um, but, uh, no, I still think the brioche goes better with jam. <laughs> yeah, the sweetness is weird. I mean, that is kind of... Um, and I thought I was a bumpkin, but, you know, I'm surprised, <laughs> I'm surprised that's the first time you've tried it. Um, I don't mind it, actually. I quite like it. I think it's as much the, what you get inside as well, but it can kind of add to the kind of, uh, this whole kind of, kind of filthy aspect, you know, cause it's the kind of glazed, aren't they? So you got a quite of a slippery bugger to deal with in the first place. So. And the way that the burger was actually assembled by the guy at Troll's Kitchen was actually, it was a, a sight to behold because there was the split bun. People, are, I mean, it's radio. How are people going to visualize this? Um, <laughs> right. It was a split bun. And then he did a very delicate pattern of thin lines of ketchup on the bun. And then in the opposite direction, thin lines of mustard in Ooh. to create like a checkerboard effect. Wow. Which was very impressive to watch, but you know, you can't tell when you've got your gob round it. <laughs> no, exactly. That's just, that's just part of the thing, isn't it? It's part of the, the experience. You know, you're watching it being made. Like, you know, like teriyaki or something, you know, it's like kind of, it's like the artistry that goes behind it. And then, you know, you're more impressed when you eat it. I wasn't that impressed with the brioche bun, but I was impressed with Deconstruct. Ah, yes. It was fabulous because it's their 10th year and the first time that Lazy Ass Me have actually got down there to watch it. Is it really? Um, Gosh. Yeah, never been. Yeah. And it was bloody brilliant. It was really, really 
really well organized by clear left i mean mm. the venue was great the organizing was great jeremy keith has to be the best compare oh yeah that i've yeah. ever seen mm. um you know and we've seen some good ones you know there are people that obviously do it really really well but jeremy's like in a league of his own especially when you get him to do those kind of um last thing in a conference they often get those the like q a sessions so they'll gather questions from the audience and um uh they'll pick a few speakers and jeremy often gets the job of uh being you know, being the person to sort of compare that you know and get that moving and it's brilliant you know he really does it's almost like he's scripted but he can't be you know it's no it's because his brain moves too fast and he did this thing there was no Q&A panel, it was just him introducing the day, doing the housekeeping and introducing all the speakers. But he did this thing right at the very beginning before Warren Ellis, which was to say, could you give me like a round of um, reserved polite applause? <laughs> right. And, you know, what does that sound like? And everybody went, you know. And then it was like, okay, can you give me some, you know, more enthusiastic applause? And then everybody got louder. And then it was like, could you give me some like, you know, tumultuous applause? And everybody was like, whoa, as well as the applauding. And it's like, right, Warren fucking Ellis. <laughs> and on came Warren Ellis and the tumultuous applause. And it was brilliant. It was such a good way of like, you know, building up the yeah, energy in the room just for the yeah. first speak. It was, he was ace. He was such a good presenter. Fantastic. And in the content was good. I heard a lot of it was quite political, which, which some didn't like, but a lot of people did, I think. Yeah, no, I really, really liked it. Um, I mean, it, there was a lot to do with the sort of potential consequences of security and surveillance and sharing of information and things like that. Mm. Um, living with the network was the, the sort of the, the theme of the day. And you know, some people stuck to it closer than others, but there were some really, really good talks. And, um, I think Mandy Brown stood out for me, actually. Right. Editorially ex. Uh, a book apart, Mandy Brown. Yeah, yeah, not heard her speak. No, she was fabulous. I've never heard her speak either. Yeah. But she was absolutely fabulous. And yeah, no, I don't think there was a bad talk in the day. And it was quite political, but it wasn't a sort of a, it, it was thoughtfully political. Mm. Rather than kind of, you know, party political or kind of tub thumping political. Okay, good. Yeah. And I presume Aral was involved there somewhere, was he? No, do you know what? Aral was not there. Oh. Um, he, I did see him in the evening. He wasn't involved in the, uh, in the day at all. People had gone Balkan to the max even without him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. To be honest. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. it was really good. And I, and I wrote a little blog post about this actually over the weekend. One of the things that I was intrigued by was how many people had scripted talks. Mm. Yeah. I read your post about this. I think it made a difference. It was a little bit like, and I forgot how Jeremy described it now to me when we we're in the bar. Um, but it was a little bit like people were giving almost like a keynote address or they were delivering a paper. Right. Rather right. than it being your, you know, entertaining conference talk. I mean, it was still entertaining, but mm. it, it felt different. Because how much do you use a script? I know you often like to have that kind of monitor at the front of the stage with your notes on it. But how much do you actually read off your notes? Do you actually do it verbatim or do you kind of just use it as a reminder? No, every single word. for the, I've only done it the once. Mm. The, the first time I did the talk with no slides, I had talking points and then I just basically riffed around them. And then for the last talk, the one that I did in Oxford... 
I literally had a word for word script. And I, I think that if you practice enough, you can kind of make your speech sound more natural. There's nothing right. worse, nothing worse than seeing somebody read from a, you know, read from a script and it be, you'll be giving that flat icon design process talk in Guildford. <laughs> you know, all of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've seen that at, at um, John Gruber at Deconstruct, actually. It was a very good talk, but it was, you know, it was a script and he was very static. Um, he didn't move around or, you know, he sort of glanced up from the script occasionally. And it was that kind of thing. Oh, I wonder how this would be if he, if he'd read that, you know, rehearsed that more times, but still used the script. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think one of the, the terrifying bits was, uh, normally when we do a conference talk, it tends to be about kind of 30, 40 minutes, that kind of, maybe at the most. And on the Monday, I was sitting watching everyone else's talk. Um, and I thought I'd sort of looked at my talk and added enough to it. Um, but when I actually sort of heard an hour's talk, I thought, blimey, no, I'm just not long enough. So on that, that Monday evening, I spent a long time, you know, up into the night adding bits because there's lots I could say, but you know, always, what about, you know, do you actually really need to say this? So anyway, I, I did lots more and I managed to get it to an hour. In fact, it was going to go over. So I had to kind of hurry the last little bit, but it's the fact that, um, I mean, it's a very good layout event part. I've never been before, but you know, rather than these sort of cramped sort of auditoriums or old theaters and things that you often get that UK conferences are in, it's nice long tables and you've got room to put your legs out and you've got uh, PowerPoints so you can, uh, you can plug your laptop in, you can take notes. But conversely, that's the other thing is that you've got the potential there for people to switch off really easily. So they could be checking Twitter, you know, or, you know, doing Facebook. Um, although actually some people I noticed were actually, they'd actually downloaded the slides off the site first and were following along with the slides, which is a really, I mean, I thought that was really good. And just, it was just a lot more comfortable and a lot less, uh, better air conditioned. So I wasn't doing that kind of nodding off by three o'clock business. Um, so yeah, fantastic conference, a really well organized. You're going to be giving this design process talk again in Guildford. Yes. Which is kind of almost the same as Chicago. <laughs> it is apart from the, ooh, the, the beach and the lake and the skyscrapers and the hot dogs. Um, oh, and you had deep dish pizza. I think I saw either oh, you or Lee posted on Instagram. <laughs> it's one of those things that when you maybe do this as well, you know, when you go somewhere new, you feel that you have to sort of eat what they sort of say, oh, you must try this while you're here. So the two things that we were told, you know, were the Chicago hot dogs and uh, the deep dish pizzas. So we did the Chicago hot dogs. We went to a place called Portillo's, which was uh, just a, just a few, a couple of blocks away from where our hotel was when we were on the holiday bit. And that was great. And actually what I did, actually Lee and I both did this. We had um, a nice big hot dog and we had one of those nice big goblets of beer that they do there that we finished it. And we said, actually, rather than pudding, I'm going to have another one of those again. So, so we did. And I was they were gorgeous. And it's like, it's, it's much because of what they put in it. Like when you are a hot dog over here, you get, you know, maybe some onions and that's it, you know, the choice of mustard or ketchup. But over there you get all the extra stuff. Like you get what they call sport peppers, these little chilies and things. And just generally it's all really tasty. 
But the other thing was these deep, deep, uh, deep dish pizzas. I, they didn't didn't appeal to me before I started. I mean, I, I I'm not a big pizza lover. I like kind of thin crust, that kind of more you know, more authenticy kind of pizza. Uh, so I looked at this and thought, I don't want to try it, but I can feel like I'm going to have to. So when you go and you buy it, and it, it comes in this, um, you buy it like for two people or for four, or whatever. So this one for two had this. I think it was around about three or four slices each, and it's thick. You know, layers of uh, not just of the cheese and the sauce, but also the base and the crust inside. Um, I had one slice, and so did Lee, and we just couldn't, just couldn't have any more. I, it was, you know, it's like soggy quiche. I, think I like even like soggy quiche. Uh, soggy quiche maybe had a bit of a lightness to it, but oh no, it was. No, it, it was. It wasn't for me, basically. Not not for me. Well, as you're such a fan of the sausage, and that's not a euphemism. We are also going to be able to eat sausage because we're both going to Berlin. Yes, you and I. We're both going to Beyond in Berlin on the third to fifth of September. No, November. Silly person. Would it be rude to remind people that I'm actually hosting a CSS for responsive design workshop at Beyond Tellerant? Um, I think it may be too late if they did think of that. Yeah. Tickets are still available. I shall put a link in our show notes. But the URL is unfinished.bz slash workshop. And one of the great place to go as well to do it. And oh, no, I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Really looking forward to it. So I suppose the question is, do you worry when you go away that your studio mates are going to rearrange things in the office while you're out? <laughs> They're going to move your action figures around because that would bother me. Yeah, it would. Um, actually, uh, it might be quite nice if they move them around because it might give them a bit of a dust. They're all looking a bit, um, a bit layered at the moment. I need to give them a, get the feather duster in. But, um, actually Matt did this a, a while back. Uh, I came in one Monday and he said, have you noticed yet? And it took me ages, but I'd realized he'd bought a, a Rose Tyler minifigure. I think he'd found it in a charity shop for about 10p. And he'd put it in amongst all my doctors. Because on my desk, I've got all the doctor minifigs. I presume you've got all your apes and things. Uh, but it took me a while. So that, that was nice. So they, they don't sort of fiddle with it, but they do add to it. So that's really nice. When I was like a fool in Ikea yesterday... Sorry, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? Buying some furniture. <laughs> some kind of modern folk song. Yeah, go on. They do do some picture shelves, which are about uh, about three inches deep. Mm -hmm. And they've got like a little lip on the front. And the idea is that you just sort of stand photos up um, oh, on these thin right. shelves. And I thought to myself, that would be ideal for my action figures. Oh, Keeping them all genius. kind of organised on the wall. I'm some, yeah. Anyway, this this... So much, so much that we could talk about. I mean, we could. <laughs> yeah, but we run out of time because we'll, we could, I waffle we, too much about Chicago. Yeah. We could talk about what we expect from the Apple event on Tuesday. But as this is likely to go out after that, ah. we're just going to sound like a pair of idiots. And Apple events, I, do you not find them a bit dull these days? Uh, I quite enjoyed the uh, the last one, the WWDC one. I thought that that was quite entertaining. Yeah, oh, with them, um, yes, <laughs> Hair Man. What was his name? Craig yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm not prepared to make any kind of predictions at all about what we're going to see. Basically, there's not going to be a new Apple TV announcement with Apple TV App Store, so I'm just not going to be that interested. It's going to be bigger and better, and you know, bigger screen and that kind of thing. But I'll be interested to 
I mean, yeah, we know what the iPhones are going to look like because they've been leaked to hide. Yeah, exactly. The wearable thing, um, I'm going to probably stake my claim, you heard it here first, that it's actually going to be something that you wear in your belly button. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? If I was Apple (laughs) and I had a bit of a wearable thing going on, I mean, forget about the iWatch. We would just call it the, what is it? The iNavel, right? That's, you leak that. You buy the iNavel.com domain name. You sort of leak it out and then you wait for Samsung to get there first. (laughs) Right. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And then you go, haha, joking. Exactly. And then you reveal your real thing. So yeah, the iNavel. iFluff. The eye fluff, the eye lint. <laughs> That's my prediction. You heard it here first. Very good. Very good. Are you, would you be excited about any kind of wearable? I mean, it doesn't do it for me yet. but It would have to be something that I wanted to wear because it looked nice. I mean, I've had jawbone ups and Nike fuel bands, and I've got my Garmin Swim mm-hmm. that I sometimes just wear as a watch. Ah, um, right. And they're all pig ugly. Yeah, exactly. But I think Apple's thing is that they kind of, t- you know, introduce things that you don't know you needed, you know, or in a way, so that everyone's been quite obvious with their, like, smartphones, so, um, wristwatches so far. You know, in the kind of the way that they sort of tell the time and they kind of, you know, link with your, your phone a little bit. So I think if, if Apple do something, I think there'd, there'd better be something quite kind of far out or, you know, something we didn't realise we needed. I seriously think that it's not going to be something which is really screen dependent. You know, it's not like it's going to be a little computer on your wrist. I actually think that it's going to be a small collection of, I don't know, sensors and transmitters that can go into different things. So you can put it in a watch or in a ring or in your belly button if you want to. Mm. That's an interesting idea enables things like iHome kit, whatever it is, you know, the home kit stuff. So, you know, you walk up to your front door, the doorbell, you know, the door lock communicates with your belly button implant and lets you in. Um, and I don't think that it's going to be what we think it's going to be in terms of notifications because who needs that? You know, you just pull your phone out your pocket. Yeah. You don't want extra distractions in your life, extra you know, no, really nagging. Not. Yeah. In fact, I really, really want to talk about that in a minute. But that's what I think it's going to be. It's Mm. going to be something like that, which is going to be in many forms and not just something that you can wear on your wrist. Yeah. Maybe it's going to have something to do with, there's been rumors about payment providers and dealing with MasterCard and Visa and American Express and striking deals with them. Mm. So maybe, you know, your belly button will pay for things for you. Yeah. So actually, if there is such a thing as a watch, it would only sort of tell the time. And maybe say the date. Exactly. Yeah. You know, all everything else is just you know. I don't know. There's something the size of something the size of like I don't know a ten p piece. I mean, how big is that? What is it in the iPhone now? The motion processor. It's like tiny. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, we'll see tomorrow. Mm. What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to you about your studio, and I want to talk about moving away from home into a proper office. Maybe how you maintain a separation between home time and work time. Okay. I know what people are thinking right now, right? People are thinking, this is just a thin disguise over what we really want to talk about. <laughs> sure. Talk to who, obviously. But we will get to that. Before we do any of that, could we just thank my first sponsor? 
I guess it's a long time sponsor and it's gather content. Gather content helps people who build websites to work with their clients to plan, organize and collaborate on web content. So I bet everybody who's ever made a website for a client or for their company, you're going to know what I mean when I say that planning, gathering, organizing and collaborating on content. Ah, oh, it's one of the trickiest and most annoying parts of any project. Because people email you content in Word or Excel or, oh God, sometimes even PowerPoint. And you can't blame people for that because those are the applications that normal people use every day. But we have to trawl through them, what's often multiple documents, and then cut and paste what's useful out of them. And, oh God, do you remember when you used to cut and paste things out of Word into a CMS and it would apply all those styles? (laughs) Back in the day. Oh God, I still get the twitch. And then you have to keep track of everything. People send you the same file twice just so that you've got it. And then you've got to store them. Your Dropboxes just end up overflowing. Then there's finding a way to collaborate over changes. And because I often edit client copy for them, because, you know, it's often terrible and I'm really picky, then I have to tell them what I've changed. And all of that can take longer than designing the website. So working with content can be a nightmare, but that's where gather content comes in. It's a web application that helps you keep all your content in one place. You can collaborate with clients on changes and then you can get approval when you need it through gather contents, reminders and due dates. Gather content breaks content down to help you guide your clients and copywriters through what needs to be written. And then when you're done, you just export that approved content directly into uh, a CMS using one of their plugins or the API. So they've set up a special page just for listeners to the show. It's unfinished.bz slash gather content. And even better, if you sign up through that page and you use the discount code unfinished, you'll get 20% off your subscription to gather content forever. Not like 30 days, but forever. And that's a really bloody good deal. And that's gather content. Awesome. Email. Email, eh? One thing that's always struck me that you do very well, and I've always been totally, totally hopeless at, is maintaining a distance between your personal and home life and your work. So right. can we talk about this a bit today? Yeah, because I, I know you mentioned that the other day on on Twitter, about having mm. a separate email address so you don't have your work email address at the, at the weekend. Well, here we go. Right, so... I've got to the stage where I think, in fact, I know that I have to stop getting work email outside work time. Mm-hmm. I went to Ikea yesterday. Foolish thing to do on a Sunday. But, you know, yes. we all, we all, trooped. we all have to do it sometime, don't we? Have a cross the bear. We all trooped around. And we didn't just nip through the, you know, cut through the, the outdoor and straight into the, you know, the, the lanes. Um, you know, the aisles where you pick up stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we went around the whole store. We did the walk. Mm-hmm. It's the, what is it? And Six, seven miles. And how many night lights did you buy? Through. We didn't buy any tea lights whatsoever, oh, which was good. quite good, but yeah. we almost got some coat hangers. There's <laughs> yeah. always something, isn't there? Yeah. Had to put them back at the end. In fact, what they do, that they should do in IKEA is they should have a bin near the checkout, just an empty bin. Well, it won't be empty for long, where people can put all of the stuff that they've picked up just along the way that they've just decided finally that they don't want. Yeah, yeah. I don't need this washing up brush. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so part way around, I, my phone buzzed. I mean, I could have left it in my pocket, but it buzzed, right? Mm-hmm. And it was an email with a, from a client and 
there was like a long list of things that I need to do. Ah, yeah. Obviously, they were sitting at home doing their catch-up on a Sunday, Mm -hmm. bashed out this email. And you know what? It completely stressed me out, and it totally changed my mood, and I had a right strop on. Yeah. On a Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to take work email off my phone. Right. And I think I'm just going to have to check work email like once or twice a day on my Mac, not on my phone. That's, I think I've just got to that point. Yeah. See, I, I did this a few years ago. I decided this and thought, okay, I'm going to set up a separate, uh, personal email address because the problem is i've had this johnahicksdesign.co.uk for for years now um i think when did i get it about 2000 no nine yeah about the year 2000 i think since then so all my friends know that's my email address and uh all my clients know that's my email address so i thought if i i better have a separate personal one and then i just i just found it really hard to get people to use that and also to tell people, you know, to use that. And in the end, I got rid of the personal email and I just kept using the John Hicks design. But the key thing was, uh, I first of all, stopped checking my email at the weekends. Um, any, anything like from friends now tends to come through Twitter or Facebook or something else or direct text, something like that. Um, and if it is a personal email, it can wait till Monday, basically. Um, and that's the kind of way I've tended to do it. I just found it really hard juggling different email addresses and making sure, because that's the other thing, making sure I use the right one to send stuff to people. And um, I can never remember that. So I, it didn't work for me, basically. I, I found I had to use other methods. Um, and I'd, sometimes I do you know, check email at weekends and kind of fall into that trap, but generally try and stay away from it. Well, all of my various email addresses, I mean, the he has at unfinished.bz, you know, they, that goes straight to, it's forwarded straight to my iCloud account. Cause, you know, that's the only way that I could ever figure out how to get push notifications. Ah, right. Yes, it all came through iCloud. So I just have it forwarded to iCloud. And all of my various work addresses from, you know, things that I've used to sign up for, I don't know, the App Store or even the monthly one, because we changed the, the email address on the website once a month just to, you know, stop spam. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, and all of that gets forwarded to my iCloud account as well. So, of course, it's, you know, buzzing all the time. Um, but nobody actually, you know, thinking about it, friends and family, they don't email me anyway. Yeah. So I could literally just stop that redirect and, you know, on the Mac, I could go straight to Media Temple's IMAP server. Mm-hmm bypass iCloud altogether and then I won't get email just pinging in. I think that might be my first stab rather than having two different email addresses. Yeah. I know it's like though. I mean, I had, I remember uh, early one Sunday morning, uh, I had a call from uh, a, a client inquiry and he started launching into this kind of what he needed and everything. And I said, say, excuse me, it's Sunday. And he said, yeah, that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> so, so i had to get for once i actually got rude and said well i do and you know ring me on monday so um yeah i didn't ring back obviously but i don't want i don't want someone who can just think it's okay to ring on a sunday that's just not not on no ringing ringing is is, is a different thing but i think that whether or not people think i mean maybe the guy thought he was just going to get an answer phone 
you know yeah true actually yeah. i do that sometimes yeah. you know I'll, I'll i'll call somewhere out of hours and if somebody answers i'll be surprised because sometimes i think i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna go straight to voicemail yeah and again this is the problem i have having my my personal mobile is also my work number it's getting to the point where i want a bit more separation now because i think that you know we just need some downtime you know you need mm. some space to um recharge a little bit yeah and, and and not just from work either i mean also from you know social media you know getting into the i get into the trap of checking instagram feedly facebook twitter and then you know once i've done that i go around to back to the start again in case there's something new <laughs> the first one yeah. again you know yeah well i'm getting yeah i'm getting to the point where i need to just kind of have a bit more downtime i think mm. otherwise you know i'm, I'm likely to to head to burnout, yeah. which, you know, which is, which is, you know, it's not good for you creatively. I mean, you know, you need to have that space, I think. Definitely. To, you know, just get other inputs rather than, you know, rather than work. Um, and you know, the fact that work email can be buzzing on a, on a Sunday when I'm in Ikea or it's in my pocket, you know, when I'm in the cinema watching a film. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's it. I've decided. Yeah. Okay. That's given me some ideas. Now you, uh, for years now, you've always worked from home. I mean, you've had a separate office, haven't you? We did have an office once. Yes. I mean, back in the old Corova days. Back in the old e-commerce Corova days. Yeah. Yes. Which I'll talk about in a minute, actually. Okay. But I just want to keep on a bit. This is because I think that having an office is one thing. I do want to talk about that, but there's also this. I suppose it's a degree of self-control as well, mm. which I think you've obviously always been better at than I am. Because um, <laughs> you do seem to have, well, no, you do seem to have a, a, a better work-life balance. I mean, with the office that, you, you know, that you go to or talk about. Yeah. Are you still strict about keeping office hours? I mean, what, I, what, one of the things I'm worried about when we do move into this office, which we'll get to mm. is, I'll still be coming back and doing stuff when I'm here. I mean, do you, do you need to catch up on work at weekends, for example? Do you do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's nice. I tend to try and keep, you know, a nine to five Monday to Friday kind of routine. Um, but what I do do that, that kind of flexibility that you have as a freelancer, you know, there's always things to do. Like you've got, uh, there's a school concert or assembly that you've got to attend or, uh, you need to be home early because, uh, you know, there's something that you're taking the kids to or something like that, you know? Um, so whereas some people might work till maybe six in a, you know, maybe a bit later, I tend to come home strictly about, you know, usually leave about five, uh, maybe a little bit earlier. So I'm there for doing things like, you know, uh, when tea's there, sorry, dinner, I should say. Um, and anything else like, you know, after school clubs and things, uh, and, and bedtimes. I mean, actually now that, that our children are getting that little bit older now, they're 11 and 13. So it's, there's less of the kind of like, you know, reading on the story at bedtime and that kind of thing. But that was always, that was always the thing that I was home for. Uh, and then once everyone was in bed, I would then turn to do maybe another hour or two in the evening. Uh, but then I'm trying to sort of phase that out a bit as well. Um, so really it's only when there's, you know, I really need to, because I think you can, it's very easy to make work fill the space. So when I first became a freelancer, you know, I've got my, my office upstairs 
it's very easy just to pop up there and do some more work in a few more hours, um, you know, and rattle through stuff. Um, and the same at weekends, if there's nothing on, if you've got nothing planned, it's very easy again just to lapse into the, oh, well, I could just go and answer some email or I could do a quote or something or just do little, little bits of admin and stuff that, you know, then I, when on Monday I won't have to sort of, you know, think about that. And it's like water, you know, water finds its own level. And if you pour water into something, it'll kind of, it always sort of fills whatever space you've got. Um, and actually what I started trying to do as well, okay, I know I could do this, but if I don't, would I still get through the same amount of work in the week? And actually I do. That was the key thing, you know, trying to sort of keep it just to sort of, you know, office kind of hours. Um, I still get through the same amount of work. Um, so it's only really now when it's, there's something, you know, uh, a big deadline or something big job on or something I've maybe taken on because it's a good client and, you know, I want to impress them a little bit and make sure that everything's on time. And, um, yeah, so it, it, it that's, that's what the, 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 the turning point for me was that whole, you know, if I don't do this now, will I still be able to fit everything in during normal hours? Because we've been, we've been struggling actually this year. It's been an odd year. I don't think it's been such a good year financially anyway. Mm. Um, and it's funny, a lot of people, um, people that I was talking to at Deconstruct, you know, some of the friends of ours that, that run studios were, were saying a similar thing. But one of the things that we found is that we've been doing very few kind of big multi month long projects. And mostly the average, you know, the average period of a job is like four to six weeks at the most. Mm. We're doing a lot of smaller stuff. Yeah. And for a lot of smaller clients for a lot lower budget, that's, you know, that's what we've been doing mostly this year. Right. And we always try to sort of enforce our weekly working regime. You know, you, it's sort of agile based and, you know, you work out what you're going to do. In, in advance, you start on a Monday, you work through your job list, just whatever you, they call them in agile, um, stories. Mm-hmm. You end on a Friday and, you know, for a long while, you know, we had our weekends back, which was ace. Yeah. But I've sort of discovered that that works really well when you're dealing with, uh, a larger company. You know, um, because somehow they seem to have more understanding of what the project involves or they have more infrastructure or more people or whatever. You try and do that with a guy that runs a chip shop. Yes. Not that we're doing chip shops, right? <laughs> and what we found through doing the smaller projects this year is that we always have overrun. Uh, Literally. Yeah. And we are, and it always used to, always used to hurt. And I always said that. I'm the world's worst multitasker and I get incredibly stressed when there's more than like two things to do at once. Right. You know, if, yeah. If there's a bunch of things that are not finished, you know, three or three projects that are kind of just drifting on. And I can't understand how a lot of web companies do this, you know, where they have multiple projects going on at any one time. I can't handle that. Mm. It gets really stressful. Yeah. Um, and so what I've been doing over the last, you know, several weekends is catching up at the weekends. And actually, and Sue said to me, um, a couple of weekends ago, well, maybe what we should do is, you know, we should have a really working weekend so that you can start next week knowing that you're, you know, you're back on track again. Mm. 
I tell you, that was the last thing I wanted to do. But we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I thought I've worked my ass off for the, like the entire week. You know, I think I deserve a weekend. Mm. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> well, yeah, really. Yeah. And also, you know, even though you start off the week um, on track again, you know, by the end of the week, you might end up, you know, being delayed. It's not solving the real problem. Working a weekend is not solving the problem. And I've actually realised that if we get to the stage where things are so delayed that I'm working the weekend, then, you know, and that's not usually not down to us. That's usually down to, you know, a client changing their mind or adding something in or, you know, the usual story. Exactly. Then actually I need to just be firmer um, and manage expectations and whatever better. Yeah. Because, you know, Everybody deserves a weekend. I think it's also hard, especially because it doesn't tend to occur at the end of a project. And you kind of got that feeling of, you know, if this goes on too long, I'm really not going to have the motivation. And you feel like you want to just say, you know, I get to that point where I almost sort of say yes to everything just to make sure that the client's happy and the job is done. Uh, rather than sort of taking a step back and saying, well, actually, and, you know, potentially making this longer. I don't know. I always want to sort of get things out of the way and done and finished. And if it drags on too long, it's it's not good. But that's usually towards the end that these sort of requests and changes and things happen. Having said that, we've got some lovely stuff that we're working on right now with some lovely people. So you know, I mustn't grumble, mm. but I just need to. Uh, I just need to be a little kind of uh, a little more organised, perhaps. Also, I mean, it's quite a personal question, but do you have any hobbies? Well, is there, you know, is there stuff that you, you, you're looking forward to finishing work so that you can do, basically? There are things that I like to do. Um, I'm actually enjoying the fitness stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, that's not something that I do at a weekend because, you know, it's something that I kind of go and, and do with a big beefy bloke rather than the family. Um, right. And I try not to swim or go to the gym at the weekend because, you know, it kind of gets in the way of going for walks on Anglesey or, or other things that we like to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's obviously the, the, the photography side of things. But no, I don't have a I don't have a thing where come 5.30 on a Friday, I think, right, that's work done. I'm going to uh, spend the weekend baking. Right, you know? yeah. I, I don't do that. And I've never done that. I think it's because I've hidden in work for such a very long time. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of, uh, I mean, I, I was like this before cycling, but you know, that's just, and I added another thing to my life that, you know, if it, it's a nice day, you know, I look forward to sort of getting, getting the work finished so I can just have an hour out on the bike, especially actually that's one crucial thing I found with um, the whole work life balance uh, with cycling is that, I can be out there and let's say, I, let's say I just go out for an hour. First half an hour, I'm thinking about everything that's from work. I'm kind of processing it and, and compartmentalizing it almost. So like putting it into its little boxes. And then the last half, by that point, I've sort of cleared my mind and all those little niggles and things have been put away. Um, so I'm quite kind of fresh headed after that. Um, and I think I, hopefully I'm a lot better husband and father at the end of it because I've not got all these concerns, you know, when I'm working really late or I've got my sort of, um, I'm worried about a project. I, I know that that's makes me sort of hard to live with. 
you know, I'm quite insular. So, um, it just, it's just one of those things that I, I always find that, as I say, it's easy to let work fill the space. But if you've got the things that you'd rather be doing with that space, you know, like spending time with the family or, you know, taking the dog for a walk or something like that, then it helps to, to get that separation, to get that break and say, right, that's it. That, that's the work bit finished. And this is the weekend and I'm going to do this and enjoy it. Well, that leads on perfectly to talking about the office. Aye. But before we do that, I just want to quickly thank our second sponsor, which is Simply Fix It. And what do they do? They repair iPhones and iPads. So we've all been there. I know you have. <laughs> yes. You've all dropped our iPhone at some point, and then we pray that it won't crack or smash when it hits the ground. Um, designer Sue here, she dropped her iPhone the other week and, and cracked the glass. Um, Alex, bless him, when he was in his old student house, he had his, um, his iPad Air, brand new iPad Air, standing up in the little stand in the kitchen, listening to podcasts as he does at two times speed. Mm -hmm. And he opened the kitchen cupboard above and his hip flask, cause you know, <laughs> it could only his, be his hip flask. And his monocle, yeah. Fell out and smashed the screen on the iPad. So, you know, what are the options when this thing happens? You could, and as I think you've done, order a DIY repair kit yeah, and try and fix it yourself. Aye, that was rubbish, yeah. Or you can go to the nearest Apple store or maybe a local mobile phone shop. But, you know, I don't think I'd trust myself with a DIY kit, to be honest. And, you know, it's not the best use of my time. I can't do that kind of stuff. Apple, well, they'll fix it for you, but they'll, you know, they'll likely expect that you... Um, buy a new device and they, they will trade in your damage one. That's what happened to Alex, but it still worked out to be like a costly insurance repair. Mm. So another option is to use simply fix it. They simply take your broken iPhone or iPad and then they fix it and then they get it back to you as quickly as they can and without hassle. And they're based up in Edinburgh, but that doesn't stop them from fixing iPhones and iPads from all over the UK. In fact, they fixed Laura Calbag's iPhone in June. And it went from Brighton to Edinburgh and back in under 48 hours. Oh, and they fixed. In fact, they were telling me they fixed over 200 iPads last month alone. <laughs> they're a really good choice for iPad and iPhone repairs. And I know that from experience because back in the day, actually, they did fix Alex's uh, other original iPad 1. He had a sticky home button. Oh, yeah. Fixed it. it was brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. They also offer fabulous warranties for customers in the UK. So for just £10, you can upgrade their standard warranty to cover accidental damage. And that means that no matter how it happens, if your iPhone screen breaks, they'll fix it for free. Yeah. Even better than that, listeners to this show and just this show, you, lucky listeners, get 50% off any iPhone or iPad repair if you send your device to them before the 14th of September. So if you've got a broken device, Laura Calbag, I'm talking to you. <laughs> she broke, she broke her iPhone again. It's hopeless. Uh -huh. Yeah. Then just hurry up because the offer's too good to miss. And after that, listeners still get a 10% discount if you use the offer code unfinished and you go to unfinished.bz slash simply fix it. Because especially if you've got two children who like mine uh, have now got uh, hand me down iPhones. And, you know, they're not as careful as we are, basically. Let's face it. So that'd be very handy. 
So I suppose the big news this week is that uh, next Monday, on the 15th, mm. we're moving out of our house from work-wise anyway. We're not leaving. We're not leaving the village. We've not dropped out. <laughs> yes. Not yet. <laughs> we've, we've not had our witness protection cover rumbled. <laughs> Although apparently, while we were on holiday, that happened. What? There's a house in the village, and it's been on the market for a long time. Yeah. And people kind of move in, and, you know, they come and go. Um, and while we were away, apparently a whole load of armed police just turned up in the middle of the village, took away the family that were living there, and, uh, and you know, and bundled them away, took them away. <laughs> Wow. You know, but not, it wasn't like, you know, they were arrested. It mm-hmm. was like furniture, personal possessions, everything. And we, we've, the, the word around Guaynesca is that witness protection. Gosh. Yeah. Flipping heck. I remember one of the, one, one of the school runs when, when, when Lee was taking the kids in, um, there was a raid on a house near the school, um, that was basically a cannabis factory. Uh, so they timed it just for when everyone was walking to school and they had the big battering rams getting down the door. Um, yeah, it was all very sort of dramatic and a bit uh, distressing for everyone. Um, you know, and it was, it was just a cannabis factory, you know, well, in that sense of, you know, uh, they could have waited 10 minutes (laughs) basically, (laughs) you know, or did it 10 minutes earlier, you know, and it wouldn't have been a problem anyway. Yes, yeah, so that's the thing. So we're moving out of our home office and we're moving into a new office in, uh, it's in the next town. Right. So what's prompted this? Cause obviously you've got, you know, it's not just you working there anymore and it's, you've got Sue and who else works there now? Well, we've got the two, we've got the Sues, mm-hmm. the two Sues. And, you know, we are doing quite a lot more with uh, a developer that's also in the area right. who's going to be working with us on a sort of fairly regular basis. And we just felt that it, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit inconvenient. We need more space. Um, and, you know, I just think it's a little bit more professional when you're working with people that, you know, they come to a working environment rather than. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. This is great, but, um, it's great when it's just, you know, me and wife. <laughs> um, and it's not ideal when there's, you know, there's, there's three of us regularly and, you know, sometimes four. And also last week we had, um, a, client and there were two of them and a potential client and there were two of them come round and it's like it's in your house mm. you know and if you don't have that many mugs then you know <laughs> yes <laughs> or they want to use the loo then it's so we thought okay enough is enough so we found there's um it's part of glindur university mm-hmm. um, and they have a startup incubation unit in one of their swanky buildings on the office park and they just have a little room. Coincidentally, they just had a little room available and it's big enough for four people and it's going to be perfect for us. So we move in next week. Fantastic. And it looks good. I mean, does it feel like a nice environment? It will feel like a nice environment. I mean, you know, hence the trips to Ikea. Um, yeah. just to, just to get the essentials. You've got to have your expedite, haven't you? Or whatever the uh, latest. It's not called expedite anymore now. It's called, it called Calax. Calax. Which sounds a bit like a sort of a Klingon revolutionary. It does, doesn't it? But it's, you know, it's still pretty much the same, isn't it? It's to expedite. It. It's pretty much the same. Yeah. And it, every design studio has got to have them because they're great. You can just, you know, they're so modular and you can just shove all sorts of 
stuff in it and display things nicely. I, lo- I love them. Well, we've got desks, we've got chairs, we've got one storage unit and a lack table because every ha- every place <laughs> yes. has to have a lack table. That weighs as much as a piece of paper, yeah. <laughs> it does. It's so, gosh, yes, so light. It's that honeycomb structure, isn't it? It's that really light, cheap <laughs> material. It's almost as light as a Chicago deep dish pizza. Oh. <laughs> and probably as tasty, to be honest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> In fact, I'd rather chomp on a lac table leg, to be honest. Especially the birch a bit of quiche. Yeah, that's the one. Well, we've gone for white this time, a little bit of a change up. Yeah. Anyway. Nice and clean. So that's the idea. And. And is it much of a commute? I mean, do you, you're going to have to go far to, to get there. It's a 17 minute drive. Okay. It's eight miles away. Mm. So. I think that this is going to do us good to uh, make us a little bit more focused on work. And it'll also be good, I think, because there are other businesses actually in that building. And, you know, we might meet people. Yeah, exactly. I can only ever remember you working from an office. I mean, there was Whizzington. Mm, Yeah, exactly. Obviously. Well, I mean, to be honest, I spent, when did I go freelance? That was 2002. And so for three years, I worked from home. And I'm that kind of personality that can, I could very easily just still do that. I could just be, you know, by myself in my little office all day, fairly happily, to be honest. Um, but you know, we had another child, uh, Dan was born and for the, for the first couple of years of his life, he was kind of in a cot in the office. So he went to sleep at night with the kind of the buzz and hum of the G5 and the G5 or G4 then, but yeah, G4 and all the other bits and pieces around it, you know, the lights blinking and everything. Um, but it came to the time where he needed his bedroom. So I had to move out. So I was kind of, it was kind of, I was only really forced on me because I had the idea that I've been looking around and trying to find an office. So I started off, there was a local uh, print design company who I uh, just rented a desk off them, uh, for a month, um, per month. So I did that for a year or two. And then, uh, during that time I met John Oxton and we, uh, we found Rissington and Rissington was nice because again, it was like where you are now, you've got this, all the other businesses in the same building. And it was about a 30, 30 minute, five minute drive, which is quite nice because, um, I could listen to podcasts and that was the time I, I most listened to podcasts and in the car, um, didn't always want to listen to music. So I quite enjoyed that part of it. Um, didn't mind the fact that it was a, a long drive. And then we found one bit closer in Burford, which we called Webel Mill. And Ooh, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, one. Webel Mill. That was only about a year and a half, two years that we were there. Um, and then we found one in Whitney. But one of the, the hard things, especially where we are in Whitney, is, is first of all, finding other people to share with. And it just happened to time with the fact that Matt Ham, who was living in Brighton, uh, was coming back home to Whitney, where, where his parents are. Um, and uh, we'd also found through a contact uh, a quite a decent place because Whitney offices, they're not really geared up for, you know, office space. It's not a city. You know, it's a little market town. Um, and places that were, the rent was sort of starting at about 400, 500 a month. And for that, you got a pretty shabby office with a really horrible kind of student accommodation type shared kitchen. There were some really you know, horrible places. But with the place we were actually, we actually are, we're, we're above an electrical shop opposite, uh, Raj Curry House, which is very handy. Um, and there's no central heating, so it does get a bit cold in winter, but it's a really nice space. It's just bare floorboards. 
you know, white walls, quite so simple. Um, there's the old Victorian fireplaces that are still in the walls. Um, and, you know, we found other people like, uh, got a friend, John Dennis, that we shared with in Rissington, who's come, come with us. And, uh, we found another Hicks locally, um, uh, a brother from another mother, uh, who's Ed. Um, and, uh, and even, do you remember Dennis Rudenkovic? I remember, you remember Dennis. Dennis? Didn't he moved to the States. He moved to Wisconsin years ago, but he's That's moved it. back. Because again, his parents are from just outside Whitney. So he's actually, he's yeah, he's brilliant. So we, we've got this lovely setup now. We've got the four of us upstairs. We've been there in this nice new office. Uh, and then Dennis is renting the one downstairs that, uh, Lee uses for her life craft business as well. Um, so we, we're never quite sure how long we're going to be here. The rent's fairly cheap, really, compared for Whitney. I think in the fact that it's, it's single glaze and there's no central heating means that, you know, it could maybe put some people off. But it's a really nice space and it's really handy. You know, it's only about a mile from the house. So I often have to cycle a longer route just to get a bit more of a ride in, you know, a bit like a yeah. two mile or something. Um, and it's really handy at lunchtime because with, with Rissington, um, if you wanted to go out to the shops and get any food or anything, you had to drive. You had to go out and you had to drive places. And pretty much same with Burford because Burford was basically kind of, it's, a, it's like a tea and cake shop, um, stop for people on bus tours. There's nothing much there. But in Whitney, there's, you know, there's actually quite a good mix of like national chain stores and little independent shops, really nice sandwich shops. There's a falafel guy, really good. Um, you know, so actually we can just walk out at lunchtime and we can just get stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's really kind of a good balance at the moment. So we're just waiting to see with the, if the landlord suddenly decides to, I want to turn this back into flats, which is always on the cards, but it's a really nice place and it's, it's really handy. So we didn't have to, you know, if you did need to pop to the office, it's very quick to do that. Um, you know, it's not a big, big hassle getting in and out. Well, we're just going to sort of play it by ear a little bit. I mean, it's not too expensive and I think we're just going to put our toe in the water. A mm. bit. And, you know, I know that our accountant would say, Oh, what are you doing renting? You moron. You know, you should actually buy somewhere and that becomes your pension and all the rest. <laughs> yeah, of that. exactly. Um, rather than wasting money on rent, which, you know, that, that may happen at some point, but uh, you know, I'm even resisting buying, you know, new Apple kit or, you know, kitting because we're going to work off laptops to start with. So, you know, mm. I'm resisting just, you know, for the first month or so, um, buying new stuff just, just so that we can see how, how it yeah. works, you know? And I think you'll feel, you'll see a difference in just that, just generally a change of environment makes you more productive. I think, you know, yeah. it kind of freshens things up a little bit. Um, and you, you'll also feel a bit less awkward with having other people in your own house, especially clients. Um, so I think it'd be really nice. Are you going to put some photos on Flickr? Are you going to show us what it's like? Yeah. I shall definitely be putting some pictures on Flickr nice. as, a, you know, as we move in next week. Mm. But what I'm going to go is we're still going to keep the studio at home. We're not going to turn it into a spare bedroom or we're not moving all the furniture out. Okay. Yeah, we're going to keep it as it is because, you know, there are some days, usually Fridays when Sue's not in, um, you know, let, for example, when I normally record the podcast, well, I'm not going to go and sit in an office on my own when, you know, I've actually got something you know, beautifully equipped, surrounded by apes. Yeah, home, so I shall, exactly. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but I just need to be careful because we're going to keep it set up here. I'm not moving my iMac, you know, uh, yeah, I won't be 
you know, leaving all of my kit in the office to start with anyway, at least. Mm. Um, I've just got to be careful that I don't drift into working evenings and weekends just because we've got the kit here. I've just got to be careful with that. Yeah, and that's the thing with, because I always use a laptop and I have for years now. So when I go into the office, I plug it into a larger screen and keyboard and mouse. Um, but when I'm home, it's just as easy just to sort of sit on the sofa watching telly doing a bit of work, which actually isn't, doesn't, you know, as long as I don't do it too much, doesn't feel like a bad uh, compromise, really. You know, I still can feel quite relaxed while doing work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's because it's there and you can, it's very easy just to do it because you can. Well, that's where that self-control thing's going to have to come in. So speaking of self-control. <laughs> right. The other problem, yeah. We have exerted enormous, enormous self-control <laughs> because, yeah. apart from your Billy Piper doll. Yeah, and you mentioned Kallax, which very almost, I was very tempted to leap in there with a kind of uh, link there from... Well, it sounds like a Sontaran name, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, we, we, so, we've done very, really, really, really well not to talk about Doctor Who, which we will do in a minute. So what she do is she wrap this bit up, yeah, and then any, any boring people can stop listening, and they can get on with PHP yeah, programming. The business is finished. Do. Yeah, exactly. Ruby on Rails. <laughs> oh, Andy. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, and then we'll talk about Doctor Who. So people can follow you, John, on Twitter. You are Hicks Design. Yes, you are, and me at Malarkey to ask questions and suggest topics you can message this show on Twitter at unfinishedbz or you can email me he has at unfinished.bz which will not come through to my phone anymore <laughs> thanks again to our sponsors this week they were gather content and simply fix it as always please 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 support our show by supporting them and then I do a beep beep hey <laughs> so <sighs> So, okay, so before we talk about the new series and Peter Capaldi, etc., mm -hmm. can we quickly just go back and talk about the time of the Doctor? Okay. Matt Smith's final yeah. episode. Yeah, the Christmas one, yeah. Was it, I know we get, what is now, September, and this was like Christmas, but yeah. <laughs> was it a crushing disappointment? It was a little bit for me, yeah, after some bits. It was... I, I, all it kind of really did was um, tie up some loose ends plot-wise. Um, you know, we'd always, there'd always been this big prophecy about um, the fall of the 11th on Trends Law and the question that must not be answered. And um, it, uh, it did that and it explained all about Kavarian and the silence and how it was because of that battle that a splinter group went off and tried to stop the doctor from ever getting there in the first place. Um, so, you know, it, it was a way of sort of tying up plot ends that was quite neat. Um, but I think the thing that annoyed me the most was a lot of toing and froing between, uh, Clara and Trenzalore, you know, this whole thing of the TARDIS taking her back, but then she came back anyway. And, oh, it just, it, it got a little bit, bit too long. And the whole kind of, you know, growing old as an old man sitting in Trenzalore, yeah. I, I didn't buy that yeah. at all. I, he would no. find some other way around it. Didn't, didn't do that. I mean, I was really, really disappointed when I watched it the first time, but I did watch it 
uh, on iPlayer a couple of weeks ago, and it, it, there were some redeeming qualities to it, I and mean, it made a lot more sense the second time around. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, you know, as a whole, I mean, particularly uh, the Time Lords, right? They send the Doctor new regeneration aid energy through that silly crack in the universe. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, how convenient was that? Well, That's great. Every time he needs a new one, he can just have a, have a, have a recharge. <laughs> it's like an energy drink for Time Lords. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I was wondering how they were going to get around that. Because they kind of acknowledge that, yes, you know, this is real. This is part of Doctor Who history that this happens. Uh, so how can you suddenly get new regenerations? Um, and you know what? I, I didn't think that was too bad. Um, but it's the whole fact of, you know, we've seen the Time Lords before in, um, David Tennant's last story and they were, they were bad. You know, they were mm. the kind of the evil, um, you know, we found out that the doctor trapped them for a good reason. And it seems a little bit contrary to all of that. And that's what kind of worries me about it. I think, to be honest, I think the, the, the thing that I like the most, uh, about the time of the doctor. Oh yeah. Cause I, f- I forgot. Um, sorry. I've gone on to a different episode completely. I was thinking of day of the doctor. Um, but yeah, time of the doctor. Um, it just, it, it just sort of sank really. It was more of a, we have to make it slightly Christmassy. So we will call this village Christmas and we'll yes. have snow. Oh, you know, I think, you know, you could actually have a Christmas episode that doesn't refer to Christmas. That would be lovely. Was the Amy Pond cameo really necessary? It was touching because I think it refers to actually one of the best bits of modern who, which was the very first matt smith story you know i thought the 11th hour was such a good opening story because it wasn't about um a convoluted um time-based story arc it wasn't about some um creature wanting to blow up the universe or the planet that was included there was an element of that but it was all about this story between this doctor and this um this girl who then grew up you know it was a very personal story and it just it worked brilliantly i thought i really liked that yeah so in some ways i kind of felt they had to refer back to that because it was a very special time so it was a a little bit cheesy yeah but (laughs) in some ways it's a sentimental moment so it's you know I'll, i'll you know i'm okay with that i just i wondered whether it was necessary because we you know we'd obviously said goodbye to her in the episode with the new york one which i've forgotten the name of now um where we where we lose rory as well yeah um which again was a bit weird well but it was i thought that was like a real tearjerker particularly the bit that didn't get released like the the alternative ending which oh with rory's dad with rory's dad yes that was terrible yeah i mean terrible in sense of emotion you know it was a really well written uh piece and i think they should have done that stiff up a lip yeah um but i don't i didn't i didn't think it was necessary but also with that whole ending didn't you think it was a bit weird about the whole being trapped in new york in the sort of the 1920s because you know they could have like got a train or something or walked out of that zone where the doctor couldn't get into or maybe even waited a few years but they you know the doctor could have got back to them I, I didn't buy that whole reason for them being trapped or not being able to get back to them. I think we're overthinking it. Maybe, but it, it didn't. It didn't feel <laughs> didn't feel real, man. 
you know, not like when they actually sort of like, anyway, tried to, you know, kill themselves to stop the angels. You know, I think that was a bit more powerful, but anyway. Well, I'm, about the I'm rather glad that we don't have Matt Smith anymore. I thought there were some good episodes. I've watched most of them back. Mm. Um, but, and I quite liked him as a character and I quite liked Matt Smith as an actor. I thought it was a successful run. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't keen on Stephen Moffat's story writing. No. For his tenure mm. for the Matt Smith era. Um, and the two things together, I think, yeah, it needs to up its game in my mind. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's weird because Stephen Moffat was always consistently writing the best stories in like Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant stories. You know, you'd always say, oh, this one's going to be the Stephen Moffat. This is going to be brilliant. And he would sort of outdo himself each time, you know, like Blink and the, Do- um, the Doctor Dances and Empty Child and all these ones where he just turned out brilliance. And then he takes over the show and then it all kind of goes a bit wrong, doesn't it? I think Mark Gattis has actually been writing some of the best stuff recently. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, do you, would you include Last Saturday's in that the robot of Sherwood. No, no, oh, okay. we need to, we need to come on to, we need to come on to that in a minute. That was an exception. Mm. But all right, so let's moving on to this new series then, Peter Capaldi and, and, and Clara, right? Did you manage to resist reading the leaked scripts or did you torrent the episodes early? No, I, I, I resisted the leaked scripts and I didn't torrent it early, uh, but I did read a spoiler. So I knew about the ending where the 11th Doctor rings up the tw- um, Clara at the end. Right. And explains that, you know, he's frightened and he needs you. Um, Which I thought worked quite successfully, yeah, actually. Yeah, exactly. And again, it sort of, it was nice the way it sort of linked back to the time of the Doctor and the fact that, you know, there was, why was the, the phone off the hook outside the TARDIS? And now we know why, you know, uh, um, uh, that was a really good bit. We're three episodes in now, so give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, or maybe just a wiggly, a wiggly thumb. Yeah, thumbs up. First, first one, fantastic. Second one, good. Uh, third one, uh, I knew I wasn't going to enjoy it uh, from the premise, no. but it was. Yeah, I had a few chuckles, and it was okay. But it was one of those, you know, I didn't feel I was wasting my time watching it, but I would never watch it again. You know, there's some, no. there are some episodes that you just feel like you want to watch again and again. And it wasn't definitely one, wasn't one of those. What's your thoughts? I thought that it was disappointing, to be honest. Um, I mean, the first two I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And I think that surprisingly for a Mark Gattis episode, it just didn't, didn't go anywhere. He didn't, didn't do anything particularly. Mm, Yeah. Um, I was, I was looking at the independence review of it and, uh, they called it. A dull and nonsensical disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> which was, ooh, hello. In fact, there's a quote. I've actually made a note of the quote, put it in the show notes here. They said, where is all the darkness that we were promised repeatedly gone? This was one for the kids to enjoy. It was so dull that it was more likely to convince some grown-ups to revisit Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, for some <laughs> real robbing the rich, giving to the poor action. Yes. Well, it's true. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's all dropped, and you spend a lot of time bickering, like the, between Robin and the Doctor, just bickering. And again, the spoons though, the fight, the sword fight with a spoon, I thought was really well done. Yes, uh, that was the, exactly the way the Doctor would ha- would handle it. 
and the general grumpiness and banteriness of um of peter capaldi i think is working quite quite nicely yes i think it's really and i was wondering about this the other day thinking because we've had matt smith and david tennant who rarely ever had any grumpy moments at all i thought i wonder what you know this is quite unusual but actually i was watching um an old john pertwee story uh terror of the autons the other day and yeah he's really grumpy and irascible in that oh, you gosh, know because yes. it's the first one with joe grant and he's really quite you know a bit nasty to her actually at the start you know um so yeah i think it's kind of very much in the tradition but it's kind of you know it's kind of the malcolm tucker without the swearing almost um which is great and it's good because you need that contrast um you know bringing something new a little bit unsure about um like in the first story, the big opener, the way that he almost seems to betray Clara in, and lock her in the room. Yeah, that was that was odd. And it's kind of, well, you know, they're, they're trying to show this sort of a, a weird side. And, you know, eventually you sort of find out that, okay, you more or less had things under control and knew what was going on and was, had a plan. But it still, um, it seemed very sort of cold-hearted and, you know, it could have easily gone very wrong. And what we've seen in these last few episodes, like especially one Saturday, is that Clara has been given even more of a role. Um, and she's the kind of the coming out as the sort of level headed one that, um, that turns stories around. So like, um, on Saturday, she was the one that was picked as the ringleader as being the one kind of in control. And she was very sort of manipulative and clever with, um, the sheriff last week with the Dalek. She was the one that she sort of slapped the doctor into thinking about, you know, not just leaving it there. You know, it's all, there's nothing we can do about this. And actually realizing that because you fix the Dalek, you can unfix it again and make things better. And yeah, and with that whole business with the half face man in the, the first episode where she has to sort of use all her courage to, to talk to him and, you know, she could be killed at any moment. You know, I think it's one of the things I think is fantastic is actually that the companion's getting a really good role finally. You see, I, I was going to bring this up. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Clara for a minute because at the end of the Into the Dalek episode, there's a soldier journey. Ah, yeah, uh, yeah. That asks to go with the Doctor of the TARDIS and he refuses because he says, mm -hmm. you know, he wishes that she hadn't been a soldier. Yeah. And I'm thinking, take her, please. Anyone but bloody Clara Oswald. <laughs> I mean, I know that she's popular, and, yeah. I, and I, I did read a spoiler that you know she leaves somewhere part way through this season. I think, yeah. But oh god, it can't come soon enough. <laughs> she's driving me nuts. Oh really? Yes. Uh... I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I I quite enjoyed her kind of introduction. I mean, you know, the Impossible Girl stuff was was, mm. was a bit strange, um, and I thought that she was a good foil with matt smith um and i suppose now that they don't have the you know potential boyfriend angle that you know she's there's a different dynamic in the tardis but oh god she's annoying me <laughs> not bruce lawson if you've been what, what, what following bruce lawson i think no, what's bruce had to say bruce is very much um enamored with clara um, and each week it's, you know, uh, marry me, Victorian Clara, marry me, medieval Clara, you know. <laughs> um, I, I know what you mean. She's, cause she's, she's quite chirpy, isn't she? All, you know, a, a lot. And it, it would be interesting. I think, yeah, I'm quite, I, I feel I'm at the stage where I'm quite ready for a new companion. 
um, someone to bring us something a bit different. Yes. Um, but I'm quite hoping that the, that her potential boyfriend, the school teacher might join them for a bit, just for a bit of light relief, really. Well, this is what's going to happen. This is what they're building up to, isn't it? Because there's that whole stuff about the fact that he's a soldier. And the yes. fact that he refused, um, Blue to come on the TARDIS because she was a soldier. You know, there's going to be the sort of a tension there. And that's what they're kind of, you know, laying the groundwork for, really. Um, it'd be interesting, actually. I mean, I don't think they'd ever go back to, they'd have a, a male companion. You know, I think it's that whole thing of having to sell the TV series. They've got to have a female companion to the male doctor. So until they actually have a female doctor, which I think, you know, it may well at some point. Um, and I think it would be very interesting if they do. Yeah, I think it'd be quite a, you know, good re- refresh. Um, that they're always going to have that female companion. It's got, and, you know, to be honest, they've, they've got to be, I mean, the thing, like Catherine Tate was quite different, wasn't she? She's not Yeah, I see. Of, I really like those Catherine Tate episodes. Yeah. Cause she was really kind of bolshy and, you know, not fitting into that kind of, that sort of general thing. So yeah, it'd be interesting to wait and see. I don't think it's going to be Danny. I did think he's going to be the companion. I think Danny and is going to be the reason that Clara leaves. Maybe. I'm not sure. Who do people think of as a female doctor? Is it Helen Mirren? Is it her name? That Helen Mirren up? and Joanna Lumley. Yeah, you see, my money's on Joe Brand. <laughs> I'd like Joe Brand as the doctor. I'm going to, uh, along with my Apple wearable <laughs> prediction, that's what I'm going to say, Joe Brand. I love that Joe Brand has this line about um, taking a fish to bed so that she can turn around to her husband and say, not tonight, dear, I've got a haddock. <laughs> <laughs> you see, she'd be perfect yeah. in the role. Really good. I, I would look like Sue Perkins, but yeah. Sue Perkins would be another one. Mm, I think she'd be good. But um, Just one quick thing. Yeah. I'm a bit worried about this whole Missy and the Promised Land. Uh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because obviously we had the half-faced man meeting her mm-hmm. in the, at the end of the first episode. And then uh, Gretchen the soldier ends up meeting her in the promised land. Yeah. In the, in the Dalek episode. And then the spaceship this week, the castle spaceship, was on its way to the promised land as well. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, oh, God, please don't be another silence. Oh, right. Well, it kind of is, isn't it? It's, it's the story arc. It's like the crack, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas actually and- the crack felt like a good story arc and it kind of felt very intriguing and kind of dangerous um i mean i I know quite a lot of people are actually annoyed by this story arc of the promised land i mean so far i'm not i'm very intrigued by it and um as long as it doesn't just become another excuse for you know gazillion plot twists mm. um, and it's kind of mystery for the sake of mystery um, well, it kind of is a little bit, and they're they trying to sort of make you sort of watch the series and and catch the clues, as it were. Um, there's a, th- a really interesting idea. There was this was in the Independent again, um, and whoever it was, I forget who wrote this article now, says if only the Doctor and Clara had ended up in a miniscope like Carnival of Monsters from the John Pertwee era. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yes, it would have made things far more interesting long form storytelling on television is back in vogue Mm. so why not spend another episode on the robotic knights and the legend of robin hood right talking about the the robot hood episode right so we sat through on on holiday we we took a whole load of stuff and every night we would watch an episode of something and we watched for example true detective right yeah which is a fabulous tv show nobody's if you haven't seen true detective then you know you just have to watch it yeah not seen that fantastic 
Um, and obviously, you know, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, you know, you can just like proper quality storytelling over mm. a longer period, you know, can be done really well. So I say all those shows that you've listed, they're adult shows, aren't they? Yes. So can you think of any kind of long form storytelling in something that's family viewing? Um, I can remember stuff from the past. Yes. I mean, I can remember <laughs> serials on BBC, you know, during the children's, um, you know, children's period after school. Definitely. Mm. I mean, there were long running serials. I mean, obviously Grange Hill for one thing. Um, yeah. So that's kind of different. Were, yeah. But there were stories. No, I can remember. Um, maybe they weren't on children's TV after school, but they were definitely kind of like Sunday evening shows. I talked about one with Brendan. Uh, a few weeks ago and i forgot what the bloody the bloody um name of this thing is now but yeah i can remember it in the past i mean what children don't have uh, you know they don't have attention spans now i don't think that nowadays that, and on that kind of for that level uh that it's not about uh long form necessarily it's um how can i describe this the basically they're sort of they've, they've made doctor who now this sort of sellable chunk of an hour so for anyone who can, you know, who's got adverts in their, in their channel, it fills the hour. So we're, we're about 45, 50 minutes over here we're on BBC. And, uh, they're going for that kind of, there's a general kind of long form, like, like the story arcs, which is kind of what they're trying to do there. But at the same time, these, like, um, uh, these kind of adult shows are kind of, they're dealt with differently. And I think, I don't know, Doctor Who's in a different kind of space and it, it can't do that. Like, um, uh, remember Torchwood did this thing, Children of Earth, a few years ago? Oh, which I love that. Peter Capaldi was in. And it was brilliant because it was like every night on a weekday night for five nights. Um, and it was, it was brilliant because it was taking us, taking one story and it was, it was, it was stretching it out and telling this, telling it really well. And um, again, Peter Capaldi was brilliant in that. Oh, he was excellent. Um, and it was, it was like, why can't it be like this? You know, and the fact that, you know, um, with Doctor Who now, you get so many episodes that feel rushed, you know, especially the conclusion feels really hurried because they're only got 45, 50 minutes to sell it. And for some reason, Stephen Moffat now doesn't like doing two-parters. But yeah, I agree. I think they should do more two-parters. They should do more um, longer stories and spend more time on the stories. Um, conversely, I saw, what was it, Seeds of Doom last week? Um which is six episodes that could of a Doc, Tom Baker story that could have easily been cut down to about three at least. Oh, <laughs> it was really I long. saw one, and I forget which one it is now, but it was spread over like six weeks or something, and they're on a planet which seemed to be underground. There was lots of running through tunnels. And I don't know, six six weeks of stuff happened, and then in the last ten minutes of the, of the, the, the story arc, the doctor and the companion are running through this tunnel. They just run to the edge and there's like, they're teetering on the brink of a huge drop because the path doesn't go any further. Mm. And so the doctor goes one side and the companion goes the other side and they stretch the scarf out oh, yeah. <laughs> between them. And the bad guys run, trip over the scarf and fall down the precipice. And you think you couldn't have done that six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Every bit yeah. of character development and every, you know, plot twist had just led up to somebody tripping over a scarf. Yeah. They could have done that in Marks and Spencer's. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. But yeah, I would, uh, I, would, I agree. I would, we, we, they need to go back to, um, you know, doing uh, either taking a much simpler idea and doing that in 45 minutes, you know, not being too over ambitious or doing, I think actually the finale this time is going to be a two-parter from what I hear. So it would be There's nice. some good sounding episode titles coming up. Actually, yeah. I think next week is supposed to, it looks fantastic. It looks really good. Uh, it looks really meaty. There's one called Time Heist, uh, Kill the Moon, Mummy on the Orient Express. Uh, I wonder what that's going to be about. <laughs> yeah, no clues there. <laughs> and then I think the final, the final finale is called Death in Heaven. So mm. I've, I've got high hopes for the rest of the series. Yeah. And Capaldi, uh, what, what do you think? I like him so far. Mm-hmm. I haven't, he hasn't quite settled in yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like him so far. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be switching off as I think I did halfway through the Matt Smith, uh, series. Yeah. I, I did lose it a bit, but I think, I think he's going to hold my attention. Yes, I think so. I think, I think Capaldi is basically as good as I hoped he was going to be. Um, if not better. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And now that we've got this one passed, which is kind of the, the fun one. Um, we can get back into the kind of the more darker ones. Because there was real hints that, that on the on the first two that you know this is going to be a darker series and a bit more um, not quite so pally and and jokey. So I'm all for that. Good, good, good. Well, listen, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, I will let you get on with the rest of your day.